Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Johannes Wattman from Wattman Architects. Now, Johannes is based in Barcelona and we've known each other for a while, but not with a lot of conversation, little snippets of conversation. And I'm really excited to have Johannes on here today uh, to share some of his wisdom, his knowledge and his past on his journey in architecture and the importance of architecture as well. Um, Johannes, thanks for being here, man. Really great. I'm absolutely delighted to have the chance, the opportunity to talk a little bit more with you, Adrian. And uh, let's have some fun. <laughs> so I'm going to kick off with, you know, just a bit of a background role on you. Tell us, you know, at some point you were born and just when that first spark of design or architecture fell into your life, like what, what, what happened there? And tell us a bit of that journey and I'll try and pull some info out of you on that. Yeah, of course I'll do. <laughs> well, for me, it was impossible to escape architecture and art because I have been born into an artist family. My father was a painter. Well, he had his studio just uh, as an appendix to the house. So, well, we, we, we really, me and my, uh, I and my sisters, we were born with art. We had been uh, submerged uh, in art. Uh, it was, let's say, our daily life. On our frequent travels to Spain, uh, my father never missed the chance to visit uh, Le Corbusier's uh, chapel in Ranchon. So finally, I mean, I was completely, well, let's say... Uh, you didn't know another life. No, no. I mean, I said, well, it's the same time I see this chapel, you know, <laughs> in the east of France. And uh, why do we have to go back to see this chapel? Papa, it's, it's why have you do to do this? And then when I started architecture, <laughs> when I started studying architecture in the Technical University in Berlin, they showed us the college and said, well, maybe some of you have been there. I said, oh, my God. Oh, put your hand up. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, me? Oh, <laughs> well, probably 60 times. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> that was it. We used to so, holiday here. <laughs> yeah. so that was it. And uh, there were all these other cathedrals, uh, architecture, and well, he was passionate about it. Uh, and um, my father also created stained glass windows. Uh-huh. So we had to go to all these Gothic cathedrals. Yes. And uh, actually, my first visit to the United States was due that, uh, to the fact he was invited to uh, create stained glass windows for the Washington Cathedral, which is like the official oh, wow. cathedral of the United States. And well, we spent uh, plenty of time there in Washington because he did three uh, finally. And well, that was, that was, let's say, my first uh, connection to, to, to the States. And well, so it was for me, um, it wasn't clear what I would do. I definitely wouldn't be a painter because my father was so good at what he did. Yeah, and, that uh, would have been a shadow. I mean, I, I, I know how to paint, but uh, mm-hmm. I say, okay, that's, that's not what you want. It's also really... A lot of hardship to be a, an artist and to 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 rely only on art to make a living. What's 
my I father think there's, there's a lot of architects that would say uh, it's an, a, a hardship to be an architect and to rely only on architecture. I, I would say it's easier because we have also yeah. the project management side and the business side. And yeah. also my, let's say, uh, my father. Yeah. I was going to say also with that, people, art is a choice. People are housed regardless. So, you know, everybody lives in a structure of some kind, whether it be a, a car, a tent or a house. They live in something or an apartment building or, you know, whatever it is. They live in something. Um, but art is actually a discerning choice. It's uh, you, you choose to buy art. You choose to invest in art. Absolutely. And you meet uh, special people, art collectors are, mm -hmm. yeah, they, they are, let's say, uh, there's an affinity. And uh, it was for sure useful to live in this um, uh, ambience to to also to know what it means to um, have a, a have a profession and rely only on this profession and not being an employee because yeah. actually I only worked maybe a year or so as an employed architect and then I started my own firm with a Spanish partner oh. but let's go back I mean that was architecture I uh, well, I started studying architecture at the Technical University in Berlin. I loved it. So were you, I, were you born in Berlin? No, I'm no. Uh, born in a, a historic city in Westphalia. Uh, uh -huh. Its name is Soest. And uh, well, it's this kind of uh, city with a historic um, uh, wall. Or, or oh, yeah, so a medieval wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Medieval yeah. and... Uh, I think there are only 40,000 uh, inhabitants now, but there are like 12 chapels and churches. So yeah, wow. history history was there all the time. And uh, I would say um, it's important for me to live in in a place which, which gives me, a, uh, transmits a, a scale of time, you know, so that's important. But okay, so I studied architecture, I loved it. And um, when I finished architecture, I was thinking, I thought that I, maybe I should imitate or follow a model, a role model, which is still, uh, well, is still usual in, in Germany. In Germany, you know, we have the crafts and um, we have uh, a system, which is first you are an apprentice. Yes. Then you are historically called a journeyman. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have the first two or three years of a journeyman and a second two or three years. And finally, ideally after eight years, but in reality, it's mostly after 12 years, you become a master. And when you have a master, which exists as a formal title, you have the right to form apprentices again. But the journeyman is called journeyman, but because very often they stay the first years of their, of their career as a craftsman, let's say, as a carpenter, for example, uh -huh. or as a mason uh -huh. doing buildings. They stay at their hometown, and then the second, the, the two second years, the last part, okay. they go on a journey, and they learn by different masters, different techniques of different regions. And it's, it's still their practices in Germany. You, you have special, let's say, uh, sort of uniform. You recognize them. And uh, it's two years, and during two years you have you are not allowed to um, 
get closer to your hometown than 50 kilometers. You are, it's really, you must stay within 50 kilometers yeah. of your hometown. No, no, you, you, you oh, you've got to stay 50 kilometers away from your hometown. Away. It's away because they don't want you to come back. You, you, if you do it, you have to do it. And uh, the, the masters, let's say the firm owners, they, they love these people because they bring such a lot of uh, energy yeah. and also, uh, let's say, exchange of, of, of techniques and, and knowledge. And I, I decided to do the same thing in architecture. So I was looking for a master. And the first master uh, I met was Bruno Albert. Uh, we are still befriended and he is living in, in Liège in, in Belgium and I stayed yeah. uh, almost a year with him, learned a lot, a lot, a lot by this Renaissance architect, a lot about craft, a lot about resisting contingencies, a great person, incredible influence for me. And then I decided, okay, I start, I, I tried to, to live in, to live and work in Paris. That was very tough. Um, I, I met John Nouvel and said, okay, you can start here, but uh, wait, wait, wait. And finally I said, okay, I go to Barcelona because Barcelona, I'm um, talking about uh, 86, 1986 was a city of architects. They just won the um, competition for, to be the, um, the, the uh, organization city for the Olympic games, 92. Uh-huh. So from 86 to 92, I was living this, preparation, this complete transformation of a city. Um, and that was fascinating. Um, and, and that's why, why I, I, I went to, to Barcelona. To so be what, honest, my... What year, I, were the, what year were the Olympics in Barcelona? Was it 92? In 92, yeah. In 92. 1992. Okay, cool. So all my travel to Barcelona was pre-92. I think it was about 91, maybe, or maybe, no, actually 90, probably 1990 would have been the last time I was in Barcelona. When we were talking before and you were saying, oh, well, it's changed out of sight. I remember the things that were changing as it was getting ready for the Olympics. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, that's, I hate to uh... think that that is 32 years ago. <laughs> well, I, the idea was to stay a year, maximum two. Yeah. Um, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you went for your two years, but you've you've yeah. forgotten how to get home. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things with that that um, so when my experience of um, Barcelona was, you know, hotels sort of on the Ramblers and um. Yeah. I worked in the fashion trade, and so I worked with a lot of uh, knitting people, people who would knit fabrics and um, create, you know, artworks for fabrics and stuff like that. Between there and Italy, I would travel backwards and forwards, mainly Lake Como area, and then back into Barcelona. And um, But I would often be, I don't even know, can't remember the names of the towns, but little towns outside of Barcelona that uh, where they would have machinery towns you know towns where they would create things and they'd have mills and stuff like that yeah absolutely but I had a fantastic experience of the place and I remember just always reveling in the uh in the history of it and you know I have a at, at the studio I have a a little kind of shrine I would say it's not really a shrine but I have a um 
little things like business cards and odd little pieces I collected in years and years of traveling. And I still have one there from Barcelona, which is of a restaurant. And it's in down in the Ramblers, sort of down in that bottom area on the left-hand side if we were walking down Ramblers. And it's a, a restaurant that had a, a corner where they used to roast the chickens on the corner. And um, you look down into the restaurant. You'd go down the stairs into the restaurant, but you could see into it from the street. I think it's uh, it could be Los Caracoles. It's still on. That's it. Still Los Caracoles. That's Los Caracoles. It. It's a it was probably place. there for a hundred years before yeah. I ever got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to go there and eat there regularly. Like that used to be like one of those places because I'd never experienced anything like that before, and and that whole kind of piece of that Catalonian life down there was something I'd never experienced. And it used to be dangerous back then down that, that, down that end of town, semi-dangerous. You know, they'd say, oh, yeah, don't it, hang around too much at night. You know, this is, uh, yeah. It's still like this. It is? <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, we call it Canaya. It's an area where, well, okay, but uh, let's say uh, friends of ours, they, they go regularly. It's, it's one, it still is. It's a, it's a traditional place for also for wealthy Catalans. So, well, you just have to. <laughs> you have to be careful. Yeah. Don't don't, don't wear your Rolex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Be mindful. Don't. Uh, yeah. Don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the thing with um, Barcelona I was was the first city in um, Spain that I ever experienced. So I I went there for work and it was. Um, I was working in the swimwear trade and uh, it was an opportunity where I, I used to have this thing where I would say, oh, I think we should go here and um, somebody else would be paying for it. So even though I was a freelancer, so I was self-employed, but um, I would go, I've never been there. That sounds exciting. I think we should go here and see what they've got because everybody else goes to the traditional cities and travels, you know, to Milan and travels to Paris and all the rest. We need to go off the beaten track and see what else exists so that we can see inspiration from other areas. And so that used to be my way of getting a better trip out of, out of the company really. And um, Barcelona was one of those. I saw something somewhere in an article on something and I went, I'm going to go there, right? Okay, so that was my next trip. I'd go, well, this year, you know, this summer, I'm going to head to Barcelona. And I'd just start speaking it into existence, and then I'd be there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it was such a vibrant town that I think I maybe went back five times or something like that. Like, I would put it on my regular trip. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Americans, a lot of... Europeans, uh, students, and um, well, it has an amazing, let's say, nightlife, yeah. street life. Uh, well, it's also the Mediterranean climate, which, which helps. But which, um, yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, I'm uh, well, I twice or three times a year I, I go to uh, uh, Germany, and I mean, it's like incredible. Uh, like at eight. Everything closes down. Yeah. There's nobody on the streets. Yeah. Even in summer, it's well. There are some terraces, but no way to mm -hmm. to uh, to compare it. And also, well, we are Catalans and Spaniards here, and 
quasi the, 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 the way to communicate in a Mediterranean country is much more direct. And, yes, and yes. It's, it's uh, not so, I mean, in Germany, we are more control. And, uh, <laughs> a little more formality. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> I always laugh. I've spent a lot of time I'm in Germany. Both. Sorry. I define myself as a Prussian Mediterranean. Ah, oh, nice. I'm still Prussian. Yes. I like Mies van der Rohe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in my eyes to see his architecture. It's so square, but it's incredible, Mies, Mies van der Rohe. But, and Schinkel, and well, I love this. I'm Prussian. I love German philosophy. But I'm also very, very Mediterranean. So... <laughs> So um, it's As a good mixture. It's a split personality. It, it, it's on one side, you've got the structure and the um, form and the, the, the definiteness that, you know, like the, the very German sort of sensibility of um, process and things like that. And then on the other side, you've got the crazy artist side that um, is, is engaged in life more. You know, one of the things that I find in Spain is, and I think the last time I was in Spain was probably about eight, nine years ago, um, is there's a, a, a definite point of living life, but living it from, not from just partying and stuff, but living it from your heart. Like it's, uh, it's very alive. It's very like, even if it's only a small thing that you can do, people will make a point of doing it, you know. Um, we were in the Basque country last time I was there and um, we were dancing in the streets at a festival and just by chance that we'd found, you know, things like this. You, it, it very, there's a sense, a deep ingrained sense of taking the opportunity of freedom. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's not a cliche uh, my wife, she she uh, often says, life lasts four days, and two days have passed. So, just let's get on it. with it. I <laughs> love that. Let's enjoy. Let's enjoy. That's that's what that's a, a typical, let's say, expression in in Spain, you know. And uh, and uh, well, what I didn't tell you is that at the age of five years, my father, he 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 needed a change, and and. He wanted to leave the gray and melancholic uh, Westphalia. And, um, well, um, he, my mother, and, and, and I, we went to uh, Ibiza, which is uh -huh. this yeah. fancy island. Yeah. But there were no tourists. There were no tourists. There were only artists, like the Edspets and people like this. And I remember still the first time we, we, we went by ship. There were almost no planes and a very little airport. And, uh, well, we arrived by ship. And at 5 in the morning, the island, this magic island, Mediterranean island, Rose came up out, yeah, sea. rose out of the sea, yeah. Incredible, and and I, I mean, I I, I went there, and there was a, a Bisenkan woman waiting. She was very nervous, and when I, uh, it was the, the 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 lady who who run the house we rent, you know, and she saw me. And she said Rubio, and she took me in my in her arms, and <laughs> she was like my Spanish mother, you know. For, for, for the ongoing years. And I spent several years there with my father. My father discussed another type of informal painting, uh -huh. which would be close to abstract expressionism. And, and that was very intense years. And it's like, 
I mean, we are talking about virus and, and, and coronavirus, but that's another kind of, of virus. That's this Mediterranean virus. <laughs> if you get <laughs> infected, you never lose this again. You will never, never, ever forget the light, the smells, the sea. It's impossible. It's, it's like it's that's such a such a thing, you know. Like, like you say, it's a, it's a virus. It infects you. It, it holds on to a piece of you forever. I think when I first ever went to Africa, the same thing happened to me. Yeah, I was, it, I was like, it's a bug. Africa bites you, and you, and it owns you forever. It's like there's something yeah. amazing about it. Yeah, and Spain, Spain has that. Where I've been all around Europe, I've been lots of places. Um, Spain's one of those pieces that goes up oh, and it holds on to you. And maybe that's the Mediterranean more than just Spain. Um, it's, but it's yeah, all the Mediterranean. It's it's the light. It's the quality mm -hmm. of the light. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's light for humans. Is well, it's 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 essential. We saw the light. It's it's yeah. it's a it's a deep relationship, and 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 that's uh, that's you you find it in this region. I mean, there are beautiful reasons in the world, of course, you know, uh -huh. but it's this mixture of civilization. And the Mediterranean was really. I mean, Greeks. The Greeks were here. Uh -huh. Babylonia. Well. Let's say the so-called civilization, which is a Western civilization, of course, but was born there, and it's it's still a myth, you know. It's like yeah, yeah. All that this is all this. It's it's and it's still you can still feel it, and uh, well, it's it's an opportunity also today. I mean, I I feel that uh, I arrived at my haven. I love Germany. I'm going back to my hometown quite often, but I'm staying here. It's, yeah. Uh, this is this is a, a place where I always think of myself a, a, in a bit of a way where I'm a, a nomad, but my uh, well, a lot of a way I'm a nomad. Um, I'm always going to be a New Zealander, so I know that that's okay. But I'm not going to live in New Zealand. Um, and there are few, very few places where I, I describe it as my soul rests. Wow. You know, like, and so that's that's I go these different places and I can ah, I need a certain kind of landscape for my soul to rest I need a certain kind of um, uh, the, the landscape's got a sort of geology to it that matters as well um, you know like I discovered years ago I can't live on the flat I'm not good at living on the flat I can live on hills I can live on mountains I can if I need to be able to see out I need space I perfectly understand that perfectly yeah. that's yeah. And I think the magic of that part of um, Spain is there is, you know, it's kind of like on that Mediterranean coastal part where you get this beauty, but you've also got mountains anchoring it. You've also got, you know, yeah, you've got, um, yeah, definite changes in terrain and stuff. But, yeah, interesting. It, you know, the vibrance of it, obviously, as you said, it's a virus. It got you. So it took you from <laughs> and one that you're happy to live with. Um, it took you from there to like what made Barcelona the place that you um, finally went, this is where I'm going to be, because you could have ended up in, you know, any number of parts of Spain um, and still got a lot of that vibrancy. But the other, other than the climate, or was the climate the big pull? No, it was, I think it was the cultural heritage of the city. And um, it was also the historic moment because um, 
Well, I arrived in July '86, and the town was like in a fever preparing there the contest to to win uh, uh, to, to to win the um, uh, the Olympic Games, the Summer Games. Yeah. And well, it was uh, I think on third of October that they announced it. It was an incredible, let's say, massive event with fireworks and <laughs> incredible. And they say, okay, Barcelona will be the city, and then. The, 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 of course, the transformation had already <coughs> begun. It was really the town of architects since 77, 78, when, uh, 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 let's say, Franco Franco died in... Uh, in, in Around uh, that time, uh, yeah. 77, and then, then they started the modernization and democratization of the society. It was an, ex an incredible, extremely exciting time. So... Uh, I was aware that um, it was a privilege to to assist to this as a witness. And um, what I did is, um, well, I, as an architect, while well, I was working in Barcelona, but for the first eight years, I have been writing for, especially for the Bauwelt, which is an important uh -huh. uh, magazine for architects. Uh -huh. And it was like, say, the correspondent here in Spain and in Barcelona. And I wrote maybe an article every two weeks. Yeah. So I got very intensively in the contact, interviewing the, the architects or, or making special, um, a special, uh, let's say really reports about what the ongoing transformation of the city. And that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that was, of course, then it creates, it creates really a strong relationship to, and, and you, you get to know a lot of architects, other people, and you form part of this, let's say, movement. It's, it's, it was nice and it was intense. And um, that was also a reason. And it was like, uh, I remember, maybe it was in 90, well, nine in the 90s, early 90s, I went to Boston. Yeah. To Harvard University Graduate uh -huh. School of Design, and there was um, symposium uh, projects, great scale with Rafael Moneo, Cesar Pelli, uh, important important people. Uh, Richard Sennett uh, was giving a conference. I loved this conference, and it was like really exciting. Feel, felt exciting to be in in Boston, and I had some interviews with uh, principals uh, of, of offices there, and people open. They give you fifteen minutes. <laughs> to see right. if they can do business with you. And it was, it was interesting, it was exciting, but every time I found something which really attracted me, deeply attracted me, it was European. Yes, <laughs> it, right. Oh, like Richard Sennett, he's American, but he has his philosophic roots and talking about Greece and about the democratic space in antique uh, Athens. And I said, no, I have to go back. I mean, I admire the United States for a lot of reasons. But, um, well, finally, I'm European. And, uh, exactly. I, Isn't that interesting? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. This is where you belong. Uh, that's where I belong. And uh, I wanted yeah. to stay here. And, well, it's, that's, that's, that's what that was uh, the, the motive. And Barcelona, I mean, it, 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 it never feels boring. No. Like I'm living close to the hills. You know? mm -hmm. and, uh, well, this is like the elegant uh, part of the town and a lot of shops and bars also and nice restaurants and but let's say it's 
the hillside, you know, so yes. it's probably different. And when we, uh, on Saturday or Sunday, when we go to the center, which is only three kilometers away, it's so dense, you know, so right. that's the density of yeah. city Barcelona. And um, then you, you, you go like in another time zone and you have a Jerez or a, a glass of wine in front of, of the Santa Maria's Cathedral, yeah. which is from the yeah. 13th century. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. and I, I told my wife, do you know where we are? I yeah. mean, we have this incredible wine from Priorat. We have this incredible stuff to eat, some really fine tapas, you know. And that look where we are. That? Yeah. That, that's <laughs> where we are. And the bottle of wine is, let's say, $25, $40. Yeah. The best wine. And I say, hey, Think what would happen if, I mean, if we are in the Fifth Avenue. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But also, the only thing in the Fifth Avenue that was from the 13th century would be the ground you were standing on, and it would have been well paved over many years ago. (laughs) So that's the difference also. You know, like Europe does that, though. Europe has that. um, It's incredible the, the way that it has you know, say a, a, a totally modern structure might be sitting completely next to a very ancient structure. Um, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. Like it's got so much texture and contrast that you can't get. And maybe it was because it was developed enough, early enough, that um, these structures could last yeah, as well, yeah. you know, and, and, and people protected them. People protected them because they felt that it's it's theirs, especially Santa Maria de Mar, which yeah. was built by the people. Yeah. It, it never it ah, it was theirs. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. But I mean, what maybe some 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 let's say stories. Uh, Barcelona, the, the people of Barcelona, they they are passionate with architecture and with public spaces. Look, um, there's this famous. Uh, uh, Barcelona Pavilion, created mm-hmm. by Mies van der Rohe in, in, in 1929. And it was a radical building. And if you, you, you can visit it now because it, had been, it has been rebuilt. And, um, and you, can't ima- you can't understand how Mies van der Rohe was able to create this absolutely contemporary radical space in 29. It's almost 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you see... Other, there was a world uh, universal exposition. You see the other buildings, which were done at the same time, and the big uh, museum there and the palace. It's impossible. How can somebody conceive in this moment such a radical building? But what happened? It was torn down after two years or so because it, it was a just a pavilion really? for, for universal fair. Yeah. And then the images were so strong, and the the, the memory of this, the, the records. And the, Barcelona, the, the people of Barcelona, the, the city hall, decided to build it again. It was very expensive. Okay, Deutsche Bank and a lot of German yeah. firms gave money. For it. But they really went to Africa to find the stone because it was no longer available in, in, in Europe. They reconstructed it with an enormous effort. And there it is. And the most funny thing is that in the meantime, in the 50 years or somehow, which was yeah. destroyed because it was rebuilt in 86, um, they had built a concrete, a, a concrete building, which is uh, what like it was the information office for the visitors of the, the, the this uh, universal exposition area. 
Yeah. And uh, when it was an important architect and an important building, it was done by in concrete. It was a concrete building. And they tore it down because it uh, you could not uh, enjoy the original perspective that really? Mies van der Rohe had in, 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 in his uh, mind uh, when he drew it. His mind with his leg and so on. They tore it down to, to reconstruct the, the original place. And wow. you have to be absolutely... Let's say <laughs> a passionate about architecture to do this, and there why, it is. So, why does Barcelona have that um, that level of passion, that level of um, drive? What what I get that it came out of you know, so Franco's dictatorship, and then you know the those kind of things. But why so much drive? So much, um, I don't know, like deliberateness to embrace it? Well, it's, uh, first of all, it's the Mediterranean culture, which makes you or allows you to live the public space mm -hmm. a long time of the year. I mean, mm -hmm. in reality, all year round. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, they are used to understand public spaces, streets, the places, uh, the squares, I want to say, as a, as a, as a, as a scenery, as a theater for their daily lives, which is, yeah. So they're special, and they have all these historic parts um, all over Catalonia. You have mm -hmm. the historic city centers. So they have this, let's say, sense of, of time, of tradition. And it's also that, um, well, you know that Catalans are nationalists in the, city, in the sense of they are first Catalans and then they are Spaniards. And they had been during, uh, especially during this uh, Franco regime, they, there were no really uh, very few public investments, you know. So they feel right. that the, the, this transformation of Barcelona, it's really theirs. I mean, they lived it. It's our city, which comes to life again. And, and it, it's in the news. It's in television. A lot of foreigners come. And so they're really interested in it. And um, I remember when a long time, well, several years after it was in 2004, we had uh, the, the Forum of uh, World Cultures, which is also, um, let's say, an, uh, like a universal fair, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a very interesting area, but long uh, at the end of the, the diagonal, and it was this more, let's say, reductive place. But when they opened finally all this, this area, then uh, it was open for two days. And I visited it. It was almost impossible to to to, to move. There were every day, a uh, hundred thousand people. Wow! Visiting space. It. Normal people. I mean, just local people as well. But, These yeah. people. They wanted to know it. They wanted people. I mean, like, well, families with their kids. What is happening there? You know. I remember we had this uh, master That's architect. He died uh, in January mm -hmm. of COVID at 84, I think. And he was an important architect for Barcelona, Ricardo Bofil. And uh, his team opened his studio, which is a special place because it's, he built it in, um, in, 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 inside of some silos, cement silos. And uh -huh. he built it. It's like, a, well, it has a special sense of celebration. It's like a cathedral space. And I said, okay, I want to see it. And it was open for 48 hours without uh, interruption. So I said, okay, I go there at 8.30 p.m. There will be nobody. Yeah. And it was 1,000 people queuing. <laughs> I, said, hey. I mean, 
they will let me in at midnight. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> so I think they will show it to me on another occasion. There were, I, I don't know how many people visited this architect studio. I mean, it's curious, no? It's fine. It's, 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 as you say, it's curious. It's like um, even for that many people to have an interest, you know, like, yeah. yeah. The way you see it, that, that was done. That was the Hotel V was designed. And and, and it's that, that was in, 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 in February. Mm-hmm. I mean, three months ago so it's oh how amazing so so with that um you know like you being in that space and being in a space where there is um so many i suppose like you said before there's a lot of germans who live there there's a lot of other other cultures that live there as as well as the spanish you know and catalanian culture um with that how has that formed or shaped um, your like life and thinking? And then go beyond that to, um, is it an intimidating space to do architecture because of the fact that it is so, um, there's so much passion around that built form and that the way things are done, not necessarily the way things are done. There's a, you know, like you were saying before about structures and, there are so many amazing and great structures in that town um, that you get to, I suppose, play in a, on a canvas that is um, probably full of critique, I imagine. I'm not sure whether that's right or not, but yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, it's, um, the, let's say the... the, the, the 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 architects uh, mm-hmm. they don't play the same role than they did during the Olympic days yeah. uh, the Olympic uh, games or in the preparation and transformation yeah. of the city uh, that's also due to the uh, financial economic crisis of 2007 2008 uh, Spain is depending a lot on construction there's a lot of tourism hotels areas mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of construction, as, as let's say, it's an industry really, and tourism, and and that was that was very hard to 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 res- to resist. And uh, in in 2007, 2008, 2009, and we had a hard recession. So, well, on this ongoing process of of, of let's say the silent war, <laughs> yeah, to to obtain uh, uh, fair fees, you know, uh, yes, for our profession. That was that. That was. Uh, I mean, there was a before and an after. So architects are not so important, but um, there is a strong public opinion about what is, let's say, for an architect possible to design and what not. And um, that that is. I mean, it it, it happens. Uh, I remember that um, Calatrava, who is an amazing yes. architect, uh-huh. but he does let's say fairy tale forms yes and during the olympic games he designed an antenna on the olympic um uh, on the olympic uh, stadium mountain. yeah oh olympic uh, mountain, yeah. and it, it looks a little bit like an antenna of a cardiac of the uh 70s yeah so yeah. and uh, i mean i think there were 200 important architects of the town who signed a manifesto he said, you can't build this on the hill. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's something which could happen to you if you build, let's say, an architecture which is 
not conform to this somehow Catalan minimalistic historic yeah. understanding, you know. Yeah. And um, it has to be said, and it wouldn't be fair with Calatrava, that um, Telefonica, the telephone company, phone company, yeah, which was obliged him to 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 make this tower 50 meters lower <laughs> than he designed it. So that's, I mean, they violated his project because he did beautiful things in Europe, Calatrava, and in, in, in also oh, the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah, so so yeah. that was like this big bad luck, yeah. But um, this, uh, there, there is this this let's say public sense. I mean, you're right. It's it it could be intimidating. What happens to me? For me, it's more. Let's say it, it impulses me, and it's it's a challenge. It's it's yeah, yeah. Best. It lifts you. It lifts you rather than um than shrinks so, you. Yeah, yeah. It's nice, and um, and well, uh, actually, our production is uh, contemporary architecture. We do a lot of industrial architecture, also mm -hmm. like uh, industrial buildings, and um, so. Um, this is like, let's say, 99% of our, our production. Yes. And we are now building a home for a family from Northern Europe, uh -huh. an amazing uh, house. Uh, and uh, it's also a big house and we're doing the landscape design and we're doing the interior design. And well, it's another taste. And, um, and we this like is, this project. This and is like, this is, yeah. It, it, it's like if you eat the same meal every day um, or just a very small variation of it versus um, something that is different, something that's new. As you say, it's a different flavor or a different taste. That, that's, that's the problem. I mean, in, in Europe, we have a lot of um, historic buildings mm -hmm. and also, of, mm -hmm. uh, let's say, this kind of, of, of small palette. We have a lot of it. So Europeans say, okay, that's fake. So it's not, it's, it's, uh, you should not do this. You know, I, you're just uh, using uh, an old language, old fashioned. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. So um, this, that's something which exists in, 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 in Europe. On the other hand, I love to go against, let's say, mainstream. And, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, I adore Venturi, Robert Venturi, uh -huh. and Denise Cotton. This cross culture uh, to declare that uh, the parking lots of uh, big uh, commercial uh, areas are public spaces, which are, let's say, a heritage of uh, the public space from Versailles. You know? Yes, yes. This, 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 Counter, <laughs> uh, let's say, counter mainstream thinking. I adore it, and I think it's absolutely important. You know, I was just about uh, to say that I think it's so important because unless it's challenged, unless it's um, given, you know, a new life or a breath of life or a, a, an opportunity to exist differently, it, it will end up all in straight lines and you know, boxes. Um, so it, 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 the constant innovation and challenge of the status quo is really important to just move us forward as humans. Um, Absolutely. And Absolutely. Too often you, will, you see the fact that a, um, I want to say a dollar value, it's not necessarily a dollar value, a sensibility 
around economics can take, and I'm not saying that everybody should just blow a budget, but if you can make the economics work and create something that is of beauty that um, adds fabric and depth and contrast to our lives in a good way, then we've moved ourselves forward again. We've moved forward as a human race. Um, we've discovered something better or, or greater that, um, yeah, before when we were saying um, about being in a space like, say, Barcelona or many places, um, and when there is something that uh, it, it becomes meaningful, and it becomes meaningful for a reason, you know, whether it's beautiful or it's functional or it's whatever. And, you know, I was saying to you, like, nature has designed everything and then there's what we've, what we design. And for the most part, we adapt to poor design because there's a lot of it. And then that's not necessarily a bad thing, but in the fact that everything that else exists outside of nature is something that a human has decided or humans have decided. Um, and then we touch yeah. those. Most of our interactions are with those, not with the other. You know, unless we climb mountains for our, you know, our daily thing or live in the woods and hike or something like that constantly or live outdoors in some um, environment, most of what we're doing is just working with something that a human's designed. And, and in the fact that we all wear clothes, we're always attached, always attached to what humans have designed. It's, it's, you have to be aware that in Europe, we don't have really, uh, let's say, the bush. It doesn't exist in Europe. Europe mm -hmm. is even, even, even the, maybe in the mountains. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, you have, uh, you have in, in, in really high mountains here, Pyrenees. So, of course, this is. Yes, uh, it's still uh, original. Yeah, but but the rest of Europe, it's all cultural heritage, all the landscape, and uh, that's that's it. Actually, um, I've been talking about this house. Uh, uh, in my practice, we're doing a lot of corporate architecture mm -hmm. or industrial architecture, also in logistics. And um, well, I like this project challenge. It's like driving a Formula One truck, you know, not yeah. not a race yeah. car. Yeah, yeah. But it's and finally, you are shaping also. Um, let's say environment for a lot of people who mm -hmm. use it and work there. But uh, in the, in, in 2014, I uh, built my first, uh, let's say bespoke home. We call it uh workman masterpieces, a creation, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, a result of uh, my work with Richard, Richard Petrie, our uh -huh. friend and yes. coach genius of architectural <laughs> marketing yes. but okay so we created we created this and and it's uh, i'm doing the third uh, house now and it's it's very special houses where uh, i i go to to share for one or two days um the family life in the or normally they're not spanish they come from foreign countries and they go uh -huh. there okay you live show me your sports club okay that's what you like and you do you really try to understand how, how, what are their dreams, how do they live, how do they integrate their kids, and then you, you design something very, very, very personal. And um, that's, um, and, and the next step is also to build it, to control 
everything. I mean, the qualities, the, the finishes. And so I created a construction company. And then for this uh, very special clients, they asked me to do like a really special interior design. So I was not able to do it. And uh, so we integrated interior design, but high level interior design uh, to, to, our, to, our, to, to this building. And finally, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting story because if you would ask me what this project really is, because it's, it's let's say, a couple, a marriage, mm-hmm. without any kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, she, the, 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 the owner, she, she, she has created a foundation for, for, for kids, uh, how do you say this, uh, without parents. Without oh, yeah, sure, orphans, orphans. Orphans. Yeah. And she owns, I think, four or five orphans in, in Eastern Europe. And yeah, so orphanages, yeah. Orphanages. And so they're very special people. But I would say, what is the essence of the project? I think it's a love poem. It's, uh-huh. I mean, they are creating something so special. And I think Marius is really creating it for his wife. <laughs> and it's, it's incredible. And it will be something unique. I mean, it's like, you can say it's a spleen, but it's unique. I mean, it's, it's yeah. really something and, and a wish. And he wants his wife to be happy. And he wants to be happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's uh, it's 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 something awesome. I mean, it's completely outstanding to be to have the privilege to create oh, something. I was about to say that that's a whole nother level, isn't it? The the pro, the privilege and the honor to be trusted to do that, take that journey. Yeah. And it's it a journey mean, with it's, them. It's not a journey without yeah. them. It's not. Yeah. It's a journey with them. And of course, we're discussing about money. We're discussing about mm-hmm. time frame, you know, schedules. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, because he's a businessman. I mean, to afford mm-hmm. this, you have, you, you have to know how to deal with money. Of course, you know. Yeah. So it's not just like the glitter and reach, okay, do whatever you want. <laughs> no, no, it's not this. You are really creating it with them. Experiences, everything, doing samples. And that is, that is let's say, architecture maybe architecture for the few but it's yes. still people have absolutely they are entitled to live a love story like this of course and it will remain yeah. i told them this house um i told my structural engineer you know we assume normally a lifespan of 50 years and i said no no you have to calculate it for 200 years the structure you know this is <laughs> i love I that part. and i said marius it will be the sounds will last at least 200 years. He said, only 200? I thought it was 300. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, <laughs> you know, when you consider, like you just said, well, it's a, um, a love story. And um, with that, you go, or, you know, or, or a love poem. Um, it, it, it deserves to last yeah. for a long, long time. It deserves to become this legacy point and and you know in their case it'll be really interesting because you just said they don't have children of their own so at some point they will pass on um and then they no doubt have plans for what happens to their home when they pass on Um, i think so of course they'll be well considered people you know they have uh these orphanages they have all these things and they obviously 
very much in touch and care about other people. Um, so with that, yeah, I, I, they will have a, a succession plan, but then this, this structure that is of their own love story, um, their own, you know, as you say, poem, it's so important that, uh, that, that it, well, it may, may, may or may not be important, but it's so beautiful that it should be important enough to last that time. Yeah. And, you know, why did we stop building things that don't last 200 years? What's yeah. that about? Why did we stop? Why? Why? That's it. Why? Why do I do, do it? Mm. It's only the money. Or it should be, we should, well, we should aim to strive to, to build things which have the strength. Like, like, I mean, he mm -hmm. was doing a pavilion uh, and, and they tear it down. It was so strong, the idea that they, they turned to build it. They, they, yeah. They rebuilt it. Yeah. Well, he's a, one of the masters of the last century, but but um, it's 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 amazing, you know. And well, um, we could we should really talk a little bit about this or think a little bit about this as architects. Is it a lack of ambition? It's what is it, you know? Or yeah, what drives that? What what drives that? You know, like I, I have some clients who were saying about a, a property that had sold near them, which had sold for $8 million, so a, a significant amount of money. And the people who had bought it were knocking it down. So knocking down the structure that's on it. So they bought it for the, for the position. And um, whether that's good or bad, and they were kind of a bit in shock. And I said, well, if they can afford the $8 million to buy the structure, that's all the, the, the position, then they probably choose to go, why would I live in what somebody else wanted? I will live in what I wanted. And um, whereas if somebody had paid maybe two million for it, they might have stretched to be in there at two million. And then they will take the value of what's already there and work with that as opposed to going the other way, which I think, you know, there's a point when there's an amount of money that just says, oh, well, we will do this. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's probably when they those people get hold of something that is historic and they do something special with it, you know, they can do those kinds of things. And like you're saying with these clients, they can afford to do something special. So then make it worthy of their money. That's it. We were discussing a long time, several times. I said, hey, why do you want to build a house so big, so big? And, um, and I really show them other schemes like 700 uh, square meters which would be 7,000 square foot it's mm -hmm. more than enough said, why don't you build something like this you know Marius and I said no 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 I want it and and then we were discovering all these spaces and finally I think well they will have a lot of friends uh, yes. coming to see and stay with them but it it, it was like a, a sort of unreasonable uh, ambition but finally, I said, "Okay, that's this uh, famous quote of uh, uh, was it? It's it's it's, it's Bernard Shaw uh -huh. says that the reasonable man adapts his ambition to the to, to the world, you know, and uh, right, and unreasonable, you know, adapts the world to its ambition. So it's all progress is due to the unreasonable people. I mean, uh, look, there's a, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there?" There's a yeah, lot of truth in it. And, you know, like when you were saying about the, the size of it, I, I went, 
But how could you tell a, how could you write a love story in one paragraph, which would be a small house or one chapter? <laughs> it could be, but it's, it's, I mean, there's so many spaces, but finally also due to the, uh, uh, well, first of all, I, I dealt a lot with, with historic examples and I uh, just uh, last Christmas, not this Christmas, Christmas holiday, I was really had a conflict with a, a guy whose name is Palladio, uh-huh. <laughs> the master architect of Renaissance. And I really, I started to dream, but it was nightmares with Palladio. Was <laughs> this guy so brilliant? You know, I mean, like five hundred years after he was haunting me, you know. And I really understood the problems he had, like how to, how do I treat spaces? How do I treat? stairs how do i treat the need of representation of my clients and i was like three three weeks really like an obsession and and remodeling the ground floor and the floors in a palladian uh way yes. which means that stairs are serving elements and you have the spaces the central spaces and yes. walls and everything which is the, the, the let's say the it's it's the the, the star and uh then we came to the facade and of course as architects we are not so used to historic patterns if you create a facade and uh-huh. also you have you have new normative so you can't do a symmetric house and all these things and finally when we we we, we came to a result but it wasn't like more than a year of design and then um we had to start again with the interior design and we hired a very experienced interior designer and she changed a lot of spaces in the project and I was astonished it was astonishing I was she was doing much better than I would do as an experienced architect because she's like starting again also yes. some proportion uh, she said Johannes you can't do this bathroom for this guest room so small I said why not because she said no because it's not it doesn't fit so house and I have to 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 recognize that the house became 100% better yeah right from, from the Interior space, yeah? yeah. And then finally, every space counts a story. There's like a narrative, you know, like we were imagining that we have this family room and we imagined like, well, you know, this was this girl from the countryside from Madrid and she came to to uh, to, uh, to to Barcelona and they engaged her as a person who holds the household and that yeah. was her space. She was like doing uh, manualities there, you know, uh-huh. you call it space for the the lady from Castilla, you know. Yes. And yes. you see, I mean, the, the, the house tells stories, which um, uh, it, it, it's like a sort of suspense, but finally it's with them that we create all that, all of this, you know, and they have a special idea. And this is for our mothers, for the grandmothers, which will be there and everything is designed. There is Marius Bar. He collects whiskeys uh-huh. and uh, Ron. Yeah. So he has a special one for this. Then they have a special wine cellar, you know. So it's and uh, it, you it, discover a whole world. And uh, and it's not. I really tell you. I mean, of course, it's an amazing house, and I think they like it yeah. that it's well, amazing. Place, but yeah. it's not. It's not nouveau riche. It's not to impress. It's to live it. Yes, right. And. Um, it's uh, it's amazing, and uh, that's the difference, you know. And they deeply compromise with the project. I mean, they give also life years of their life. We yes. miss every yes. once or twice, 
and discuss everything. And then now we start with the sample things and we, we use the season materials. And that's, uh, of course, very, very, uh, uh, really fine way to 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 well, architecture as you say you're creating a masterpiece um as opposed to just a functional well i shouldn't say just functional you you it's something of them it's uh it's very much of them i was uh recently at a conference and todd williams was um there and he was talking and he was saying about working with the obamas on the obama library oh, wow. and um yeah and wow. It was fascinating just chatting with him about, you know, working with them on how involved and how involved and where their um, involvement is commitment beyond um, joy and, um, you know, seeing things through, seeing, you know, just like really interesting. And the, the, um, the both sides of it from Michelle or from Barack, you know, like yeah. the, the both sides of how their personalities work and stuff. And we were just chatting about it and it was fascinating yeah. as he, you know, talked about this project's been in the works for years. Like it's, it's not like it was started yesterday and it'll be finished tomorrow. It's, um, it's very uh, deliberate. Great, a great yeah. project, with great clients. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's for sure. And also I would like to, uh, a point or make an appointment or uh, let's say uh, a comment on, on this masterpiece. Okay, it's called masterpiece but you know as an architect that our mastery, I mean <laughs> we do it we it's do a it, journey uh, we do our, to, to our, well I do it to Palladio <laughs> part of it and uh, uh, it's it's this process when, we, when you decide to really go for it, what is architecture Yes. Then you have to cut a lot of other things out. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have our families, which is important. Mm -hmm. for, uh, of course. To not be in a lonely wolf. No, no, no. We live inside. I think it's good for an architect to have a family to mm -hmm. understand this dimension mm -hmm. of life. And uh, but then you know, with this, we draw on the paper, and and it's it's, it comes huh? it comes to you from the paper. I mean, you if you if you sit down, you don't know what you will do. It comes inside out. It, if it's and 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 that is you you say okay I don't know who is the master it's me it's somebody else yes it yes. comes to us it's just try it again try it again put it in a, sometimes you have to try to to sit exhaust it exhaust yeah. it yeah exhaust it that's, yeah and then you see the truth you see the light yeah 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 I know <laughs> that's it I remember <laughs> when I used to design swimwear so swimwear you know you you're you're dealing with women's swimwear you're dealing with you know maybe three pieces. Um, there isn't a lot of uh, a garment in swimwear. And yet, you know, you can make 50 new pieces every season with no effort whatsoever. And I would um, I would be sitting drawing and I'd have a team that would be sitting drawing as well. And the, the, the pile of paper that, um, you know, the tree we, lo we would lose in the, in the throwouts uh, was just incredible as we would, play with ideas and and um, push for how things could be different or new and um, twist and critique and turn on things. And, and then ultimately we knew that it was going to go and be put on a sewing machine to be made. And so it, it and there, there's not a lot of places to make mistakes in, in, a, swim, yeah. in a swimsuit. There's not a lot, you can't hide things. Yeah. 
it's fascinating for me. Fashion designers are like the top. It's it's like I, I think it's so complex and it's 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 really exciting. I adore uh, this uh, Spanish designer Balenciaga. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, beautiful. Two work. years ago, an exposition in uh, in the uh, Thyssen Foundation, uh-huh. and they exposed masterpieces but i'm talking about goyas and velasquez mm-hmm. and uh, greco together with uh, dresses he designed in the 50s and the 60s yeah and it was absolutely amazing i mean and they are they have a presence they are masterpieces fashion design for me is so let's say exciting and i really i would like to know i i think it's not it's not by hazard that you have been in this business and then you did architecture <laughs> it is it's connected for sure. People ask me what, one, how are they connected, no. and I say people live in them, yeah, or they work in them. Oh, they, they live in them, or they work in them. There's the connection, and it's um, it's like great definition. I never, I never thought it. It's like a second skin, really. Uh-huh. You know? It's the first layer of architecture that you that you put on. Yeah, and it also there's a sense of well-being a sense of representation a sense of yeah. role-playing of course yeah but finally uh-huh. it defines you it finds the spaces or the clothes uh-huh. that's great if if and, you uh, think of um how people perceive you through um a your personality but be- long before they see your personality they see you as a human being or not as a human being they see you as um, probably a threat, a friend or a foe first is the first way people are looking. You know, they're looking at your body language and stuff. And the way you dress um, is actually a representation of what you're presenting at that point because we have multiple personalities in how we dress. And um, if, if we had endless money, we would probably have multiple homes or residences based on the mood that we want to feel in a certain place. Not you know, the house in the Mediterranean wouldn't be the same as the house in the mountains um, in, in Aspen or something like this, you know. They're different. Yeah, yeah. And so it allows people this latitude um, in a very um, affordable, and not always affordable, but in a very affordable way to represent themselves as to a tribe they belong to. Um, and, you know, I think uh, her name was Linda Evangelista, or is it Linda Evangelista? Yeah, the famous supermodel, yeah. Um, Linda said, you know, fashion is so ugly, yet you have to change it every six months. <laughs> and I, I think that that is one of the beautiful quotes. But with architecture, you don't get to change it every six months. You can do interior decoration and throw some cushions and, and some things around, but even outside of that sort of minimal change you know a sofa will sit in your home for 10 15 if it's a great sofa if you buy a re- if you buy something worthy it could be there for a hundred years you know um That's it. these kinds of things and architecture is this man-made statement of um security of um communal space of wealth, um, of status. It's a man-made statement of those things that actually has to function. And that's a shift from, you know, like clothing. Women have experienced this way more than men since the invention of the high heel. You know, like 
tottering around on high heels for whatever reason. And don't get me wrong, I love them. I think they're fantastic. And But, you know, like there's a lot of accidents in high heels as in how they're built and structured and how people's feet feel and all the rest. Um, you, you look at this and, and fashion can be just a little playground. But it's a playground that tells tells very much a mood, a story, and everything else. Well, I love fashion for that reason, and I, I love architecture for the fact that it, it, um, it's, mo- it's a little more serious. <laughs> well, okay. Well, the, when, when we were talking about the way we produce architects, uh-huh. let's say maybe we, uh, we could say we are the leaders of our team, but there came a thought uh, to my mind what I would like not to miss to express it um, um, from the beginning I mean you know maybe better than me that architecture for us who do it with passion and love uh, is a life journey so oh, so yeah. defines you I mean it you and and when I especially with my first let's say mentor I said I I want to to preserve this. Whenever I will have a, a studio, I will try to, to work in this way with young people. And in my office, uh, we, the, well, let's say the, the, the seniors are, uh, well, our clerk, uh, director of the work site, she's 42, an interior designer. Okay, they have a lot, a lot of experience, they are 42. But the rest of the people, they are young people in their Love that. late 20s, yeah. 30s. And of course, it's a teamwork. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an absolutely teamwork and they inspire me a lot, these young people. All the facades of this house has been uh, designed by a, a young architect from Albania. Uh-huh. She's so talented. And, and, and I, I always thought that um, architecture should be an expression um, of a way of living, of, let's say, the person the persons who live inside in this architecture as you said so it's very personal it's also due to composition rules so it's also it lasts in time because mm-hmm. we are uh, there's a heritage and there are composition rules and that's important to to know this then we need innovation we need to be open to the challenge of of yeah. new cultures new economies but there's one thing, uh, which is important, and uh, that's also a privilege to be able to work like this. Uh, in in my office, I think the, the the way of making, the way the the making of a house is also an expression how we feel it. I mean, in my studio, people do they start maybe with simple tasks, they they grow with their capacity to to accept and uh, take over responsibilities, but they they live the full process. I mean, they live the design sketch they learn about project management how do you treat with administrations they go to the work site i mean they are not experts in all this they maybe finally of course they have a, a realm of, of an area of responsibility of course. but they experience this process as a whole and of course they get so excited because you know to do a building is like a hard drug <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it yeah creates addiction. it's adrenaline it's 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 poor. It's pure adrenaline. And say, wow, wow, wow! And they really want to live it. They get excited, and they draw something. They draw something on the drawing board. They do the details together, maybe with an expert or an elderly person. Yes. 
And they go to the workshop and say, oh, I see it built. I see they build it. I mean, this is my idea, which takes form. And that's, I think that's important to, 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 to understand, you know. So, oh, I think it's, it, it, it's beyond important. It's um, the going from a idea a vision to a vision to a um to paper to pencil to you know to then whether it's into the computer or whatever it is whatever that particular journey is to actually a craftsman putting it together on site and seeing it and then seeing it being beyond that used you you know like if you ever get to Go and um, visit a home that, uh, you know, is maybe five, ten years old or a building, a public space that's five or ten years old. And you see people interacting with it and you get the next layer of how they interact. Now they've now they're comfortable in it and you you get the layer you could never see before. Um, And I love to ask clients. So, you know, you're five years here or seven years here. What did we get wrong? Oh, yeah. where did we screw up where, where are the pieces that we really screwed up like what what should we be renovating <laughs> basically and it's a fascinating question you know because you they they'll live with some of the things that maybe were shortcomings and then there's other pieces that they will go um you know look there's just nothing that that we don't love there's nothing that we still don't enjoy there's nothing that that is wrong. I remember doing a home and uh, I put a bifolding door in the, the back of the, so like a door, you know, that bifolds to one side to out to the back, like patio area. And the one thing, this is one thing in this house and they haven't changed it, but I would have, um, I put this bifolding door and if we had made a swinging end on it, it would have mean that they didn't have to crack the whole door every time they wanted to leave that space. Because in the winter, they get a cold breeze that comes up that way. And if that door had just one swinging end on it, you could come and go really easily without opening and then having four pieces that have got some air coming through. And so just little things like that. And I go, yeah, we should just fix that door. <laughs> like it's 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 yeah. you know it might be six thousand dollars or something we should just get it fixed we should just take care of that <laughs> uh, and they're like no 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 we're okay with it you know like but just really interesting you know that kind of thing and you go but you know i've never i learned my lesson on that one it's always a consideration it never doesn't happen as a consideration for that reason yeah. Yeah, I think this is important. I mean, the, the, we say sometimes we say our houses, our our children, but I mean, they doesn't belong to, to us. They belong no. to life, and people take them over and use them. And uh, I think there's something um, interesting in what you say. Uh, does uh, is there a perfect house or is there a perfect urban structure? And I just read um, an article from Denise Scott Brown, mm-hmm. and. Uh, from from the 90s and she said let's see based on her experience as a, as a teacher also uh, she said well every uh, so many years like every 12 or 15 years there is a, a let's say a, a, a temptation or 
or uh, the thought that um, we are just architects and we should, let's say, do, uh, we are not scientists, we are too much artists. And uh, so some people come to the university and say, oh, that's all fashion. Let's use the computer analysis of a house of light and even yeah. the programming by computers. And it's much better because it's science-based and they try to, uh, let's say, take over the university and uh -huh. the ideas with it. And um, then she compares the outcome of this, let's say, their trials. I mean, scientific architecture where everything is logic, everything is well planned, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, they say, well, people just doesn't like the spaces. They are so boring. You need this inspiration. You need this imperfection sometimes because there's intuition. It's a, yeah. a really complex process to create spaces. And um, well, you know, you mm -hmm. as a human being, we are far from being perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's what finally you like it in a person. You say, okay. I, I think that's it. It's, it's, it's not the main 80%. It's the 10 or 20% that makes it interesting. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think architecture has a, a right to do that as well, because it, that again moves us forward. It's... Um, I think of what you were just saying, and as you were talking about it, I think of um, cars. And um, the, for the mainstream, cars have become so homogenized in their look and, and their um, shapes and their varieties that you could swap badges on tons of brands and there would be no redeeming features there's it's so homogenized and i look at architecture and i go i see a homogenization of this um you know modern contemporary architecture where it's um yeah that they don't get me wrong they're beautiful buildings and they're, they're amazing but you know recently when i was on a, a conference they were saying to me somebody said to me something about like so how would this go in Australia? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. I could show you houses that are not the same, but of the same similarities and stuff. I said, but that's, you know, Instagram, Pinterest, um, all this is available to us in a heartbeat and it drives people's taste, it drives trends, it drives all these things. And almost like, you know, we can go and buy say a Prada, a Prada shoes or a bag in any major city in the world, there is very little that is of a place anymore. This homogenization of globalization and homogenization of stuff because it's all available to us so quickly. I think that there's a real um, opportunity to, with architecture to build things of the place and space that they are in. And um, whether that's utilizing just natural, the, the local materials or not even so much, it's of what is the, um, what is the influences that it has. And if you, took, if you took 20 artists, artists, not architects, but if you took 20 artists from poets to sculptors to painters to um, musicians, say, and you took a group of 20 and you said, I'm going to put you in this space and, and just say in Barcelona or a piece of Barcelona, just a piece of Barcelona for one week. And by the end of it, by the end of that week, 
I want a series of art pieces from you, each of you. Nobody would do the same stuff. There would be no homogenization. There would be very little crossover. They would all take the world as they saw the world in that space and and how they experienced it and the emotions it brought to them and the nuances that existed. And when you do that, you go, hold on a second. Are we just rushing towards, you know, the same outcome or are we considering where the outcome should be or could be? And, you know, when you were talking about making masterpieces and you talk about going into their lives and back into the history of their lives and then looking at how that fabric forms who they are and how that's informing what you do next and how they, you know, this, this, this process of unwrapping and, and, and then rewrapping, rewrapping this new future piece in, in front of us because, you know, architecture is this other amazing thing that you, you might take you two years to produce the drawings and then what happens at the end of those two years is another two years of building it, you know. So we're already four to five years into the future from its first conception. And often it might be as short as two years or something like that. But like we're we're already predicting a future that we don't know. We're already playing in that. Whereas in a piece of clothing, you can do that seasonally, you know. Um, in a piece of art, you're you're choosing moments of time. You're choosing moments of emotion. In architecture, we predict the future and then we try to inform it for that point in time, with no knowledge of what will change from tomorrow on. We just presume that there'll be some consistency. <laughs> yeah. God, we can't uh, preview what will happen in the future, really. I mean, we try to uh, arrange everything yeah. as we know or to, to, to capture like the essence of what our clients mm-hmm. want to experience and how we love. We somehow, I mean, the client is the hero. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. Because we have to, and, and, and we help them to understand even better than they know what they wish, their, their deep desires. And so they are, you, you can, you, you can, uh, you are able, I mean, there are means to, to explore it and to uh, see what course. they want. And yeah. We are the experts, and we we, sh- we should know what what even a little bit better. And that's not that this kind of architecture where you say, "Oh, I'm the client is not not important. I'm just uh, doing my uh, no, my no. testing." No, that, and there is architecture like that. There is architecture like that. But um, yeah, yeah that, no. this is not what you're doing. Yeah, no, that is not yeah. what we both are talking about because it's yeah. well, it's like you're a little bit cheating. No, <laughs> I mean yeah. it's. Uh, that's not so fair to do that, you know. Yeah. Especially when you when you talk about uh, homes, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, then then it's really okay if you're doing. Uh, there are some some spaces where where the utility is is more important. So oh, without a doubt, where that utility will um, form the, the the whole conversation, um, and then that the, the boundaries are so tight that then. Sometimes there isn't a space to be innovative in, and then other times that's where the greatest innovation will come because the boundaries are so tight. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So I've got a last question for you, Johannes. And this one, I like asking this one on the podcast. Um, One last project. You get to start it today. You're going to finish it in a year's time, but you can never practice again. You can never create another project. 
um, yeah, it, this is it. This is the final thing that you ever get to do with. Um, it doesn't mean that you die at the end of it. It just means that you live with this is the last point of this journey of being an architect. Um, what would the project be? A church. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> cool. And why? Well, uh, it was not a premeditated answer. Um, I, and, um, I would say it would be a church not dedicated to, let's say, Protestant, Catholic. Oh, right, to no religion. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it could be, well, of course, we are Christians and we have, mm -hmm. we have an idea of transparency. So I think it's, uh, it's a church because for me, uh, architecture points out to transcendency. And um, it's in, uh, in, 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 in a church where you experience the, let's say, the presence uh -huh. of what transcends our life and what is eternal of infinity. So I think I'm very much interested in, in how I may uh, build or make visible the energy and the infinity in this life. And, and I think the church is, well, it's the, eminently, was it definitely it's, it's, it's the most uh, indicated space where you, where you do that, where you end and say, okay, I don't know where it comes from, but I know it's here and yeah. I feel yeah. it. And yeah. it's, it, it makes me more aware and it makes me feel more alive. And I experience, let's say, a very deep dimension of my life. And that sometimes it happens in a church. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, it can happen in a Roman uh, oh, temple. You know, it, could, yeah, it, it, it could happen on a mountain. It could happen anywhere. But it's, um, it, that's it. It could happen on another. But inside, when we talk about architecture and let's say shaped, sculptured environments, then for me, it would be an enormous challenge also to do a church, you know. But um, yeah, I think this, this I could accept it as a final challenge. As a final challenge. I think it's a fabulous answer. And the, the reason, you know, like I said, is why is so much so based around, um, like you said, the infinity and the energy. And also when you, with a church, and, and different structures do this, but with a church, um, you transition as you enter the church. It's a transitional journey. Um, you step from one place to another place and you do it not just physically, but mentally. And um, everybody, well, not everybody, but most people who go into a church do that same transition. It'll be their own journey of a transition, but they do their, that transition. So it actually forms a threshold that's crossed. And in that, it shifts all the energy as it, as it is crossed. Um, and it's, you know, like, I think there's something really special about that. Whereas, you know, your energy will shift if you go to the mountains or if you go to the seaside or you go to any of those places as well. But maybe not with the same predetermined purpose or predetermined understanding. Hmm. I find it really fabulous. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that church.
Beautiful <laughs> definition. Brilliant definition you gave. <laughs> Johannes, we will post all your socials. We will do all that stuff. This has been an absolute joy, man. An absolute joy. I can't wait for our next one. Um, so much to unpack in there. Um, yeah, there's so many little notes. And uh, I, I love the fact that definitely I'm still a journeyman. Um, <laughs> a long yeah, way yeah. from being a master. <laughs> you know, continuously learning. Yeah, but you know, that's a challenge. I mean, the, 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 the biggest challenge for the, um, for the Zen master is to forget about. I mean, or a judo Zen yeah. uh, master, then he becomes so uh, a, a judo uh, warrior. Or, no? yeah, taekwondo or whatever they, they, it is. They have this black belt and they have this six uh, uh, silver stripes, yeah. you know. And then they become so good in their art that they take again the white belt. And, and become a student. Mm-hmm. And they become a student again. I mean, that is, that's a nice idea. It's also about the circle of life and yeah. also, okay. Yeah, I but it was, uh, it, it was for me such a, such a lovely journey with you now. This <laughs> hour and a half. So, cool, man. Thank you. We will talk soon. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.